Coming up, I'm going to teach you how to gamify your grit. What? Oh, yes. And we expose the fact that one-third of hiring managers are lying to us and what that means for all of us. Let's go. Helping you win in your work life so that you win in life. I'm Ken. I want you to discover your uniqueness, your true potential, and then meet it. That's what I'm about. Let's go. Let's talk about gamifying grit. Now, I read this phrase in a book that I've been reading, uh, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. It's a fabulous book, very, very research-based, and it's a, uh, it's a dive into the research behind success. And so one of the chapters in the book is, a, is about quitting. Do winners quit? Do quitters win? All this kind of stuff. And so I was reading the chapter, and uh, there's a story in this chapter about a guy and his friend, Joe and Simon. And so this happened back in the mid-80s. And I'll give you the short version of the story. Joe and Simon are on a, a, a mountain top, snowy, icy conditions. They're trying to scale a mountain. And at some point, Joe breaks his leg. And they realize, we've got to get back down this mountain. And so they take on the very difficult task because Joe has a broken leg of going down the mountain. So what they did was is they connected themselves via rope and they began to slowly traverse back down the mountain. What was taking hours at this point got really difficult at one point because Joe was at the bottom of the rope, Simon's up above, and so he goes down. He has to wait for Simon to kind of catch up and then they go back down. And a tragic accident happens and... Joe loses grip on the mountain because of his broken leg, and he's dangling dangerously. And his weight and all the shaking begins to really put Simon in a dangerous position. He can't see Joe. He don't know. He doesn't know. Simon doesn't know. He doesn't know if Joe is has fallen to his death. He can't see. He doesn't know. But all he knows is is the weight of Joe. He can't hear from Joe. He can't. So he has to make a decision. Do I cut the rope and save my life, or do I die? I mean, this is real stuff. Simon makes the excruciating decision to cut the rope, and when he does, Joe falls 15 stories on his back in a crevice of this mountain. Amazingly, he lives. Stunned for a while, in deep pain, he begins to realize that Simon thinks he's dead, and he's going to die if he doesn't get off this mountain. So, over the next several hours, he crawls painfully, excruciatingly painfully, crawls out of a crevice and gets himself up on a plane and realizes by the best that he can see and what he knows about the mountain that they climbed that he's every bit of six miles from base camp. That's his chance to live. So he tells the story that he began to look out and see a marker. Maybe it was a cliff ledge. Maybe it was um, a, a mound of snow. And he would see it, and he would say, if I could just get there, and then I can rest. And so he began to do this over and over and over again. He kept getting closer and closer, and he knew that he was within a mile, but he had nothing left. But he asked himself one more time, can I go another half mile and he picked a spot that he felt was halfway between the base camp his only hope of being discovered 
and he crawled that half mile, and then his body gave out, and he passed out, waking up to none other than his friend Simon, who thought that he had to kill his friend to stay alive. I tell you the story because what Joe learned there, we now know from research that there is unbelievable power in positive thinking. So even when the stakes are high, survival, in Joe's case, you could get overwhelmed pretty quickly because it feels impossible. And when it feels impossible, everything shuts down. So let's think about your situation. What elephant do you have in your life? If you look at eating an elephant, that's impossible. But if I take it one bite at a time, it's possible. So the solution to overcoming this insurmountable challenge that you have is to do what Joe said we should do. Find a little achievement that's just out there. In other words, gamify the next achievable step. What he said was, is I realized that I had hope if I could just crawl a little bit further each time. And each time that he made the next step, it's just like a game in life. We humans are wired for achievement. And when we experience that achievement, we get a high. And what would be an overwhelming, impossible task to crawl out of that crevice became possible. Why? Attitude. Optimism. Positive self-talk. Using the power of our brains to focus on something that is achievable. And it literally saved Joe's life. I don't know if you know this or not, but I was doing research on this very topic And you know that research suggests that our inner speech, in other words, the thoughts in our head, you ready for this? That we can think 4,000 words a minute. That's 10 times faster than the ability to talk. And let me tell you something, folks, I could talk fast. And no matter how fast I talk right now, I can't even keep up with my brain. And you all know it. You could be in a situation and your brain starts to go like this. And you are spinning negative thoughts. 4,000 words a minute. The Navy discovered when they began to study their SEAL applicants, which SEAL candidates made it through Hell Week and which ones didn't and why. And here's what they found. They found that the passing rates during Hell Week were completely tied to positive thinking. It increased passing rate getting through Hell Week for the SEALs, the worst week of the uh, 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 that anybody's ever experienced outside of torture. It increased 10% if they were positive in their thinking. Instead of laying on the ocean, that cold ocean, if you've ever seen the seals arm-to-arm laying in the sand and the water washes over them and they're just trying not to drown and they're freezing, they're aching, instead of just going, I got to I gotta get through, I got to get through, I got to get through, that doesn't work. They would think positive thoughts. They would take themselves to a positive place. And as a result, their brain didn't focus on the negative. And in Joe's situation, life-threatening situation, it focused on a life-giving situation. And I can tell you this, folks, if you're going to live on purpose, you are going to find yourself in situations that you got yourself into because you are choosing to pursue purpose, to be the man, the woman that God created you to be, and he is going to call you. He is going to ask you to step out and step into fear, and it is terrifying. Is it the same as Joe on the side of a mountain? No. Is your life truly threatened? No. 
but you're terrified. So you're going to have to learn this skill, gamifying grit. You're going to have to learn how to persevere instead of quit. We live in a world now, folks, where quitting is glorified. But this guy saved his life by literally going, if I could crawl 500 feet and then another 500 feet and then another 500 feet, you can gamify grit. Grit is something that you can develop, but you've got to understand that your mind has the capacity to process 4,000 thoughts in a minute. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Your voice is the one you listen to most. The most influential voice in your life is the voice in your head and when we allow the thoughts of fear the thoughts of doubt the thoughts of pride to roller skate around our heads we will never become who we are supposed to be and we'll end up like those sad souls who have told hospice nurses that one of the greatest regrets they have at the end of their life is they did not live the life that they believed they were supposed to live why fear i'm worried about something bad happening if I move forward. Doubt. I am worried that something, I don't believe that something good will happen if I move forward. And then finally, pride. I care more about what other people think than what I believe. Those voices are the enemies of progress. You better find a counter voice to fear. How about faith? A counter voice to doubt. How about belief? A counter voice to pride. How about conviction? I don't care what anybody else says. I'm supposed to do it, and I'm going to do it. Gamify grit and watch your life change forever. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show, helping you get unstuck and move forward on purpose. Okay, folks, I am of the people, by the people, for the people, and I've never felt that moniker means more than today. I, 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 I'm angry about this. I'm going to warn you right now. I'm about ready to get fired up. I am, I am angry, and you should be angry too. Here's the headline. This is an MSN article, and this is a real survey. Over one-third of hiring managers admit to lying to candidates. What? 33% of hiring managers openly admit to a survey that they lie to people in the job interview. No wonder we have so much distrust and tension in the workplace. Folks, this is going to blow your mind. 36% of hiring managers admitted to resume builder that they lie to candidates about the role that they are interviewing for or the company that they are applying to. Of the hiring managers who admit to lying, 75% of them say they lied during the interview. 52% in the job description and 24% in the offer letter. That ought to just really piss you off. It's it to me it is unconscionable. It's like going out on a date with somebody and they literally make up their entire life. Like, what's the point of that? Where's this going? It can't be going to a second date if I'm the person lying. 
but that would mean that I have common sense and we live in a world where common sense isn't common. The result of these deceptions, of course, creates massive distrust. And here's the mind-boggling thing. Do you know what the number one cost for companies is outside of payroll? It's replacing people. It's massive cost, time and money. And these hiring managers know that. In fact, lying to someone and then them leaving you or not taking a job when they find out you lie to them is causing you more problems. And you think they know that. They do know it. So what was their response when the survey uh, conductors, whatever you call those people, question answers, brought this up. 80% of hiring managers say that lying is very acceptable or somewhat acceptable at their company. 25% say they don't lie often. 24% say they lie most of the time. And 6% say they lie all the time. They know that it's going to cause problems for them. And they don't care. Listen to this. 92% of hiring managers say that a candidate they've lied to accepted the position. 55% say that the employee eventually quit after discovering they were lied to. Duh. 14% of hiring managers say the worker quit within a week, and another 35% reported they left within one month. And this causes them so much stress, time, and it costs the the company money and productivity. And yet it's happening all the time. Willingly lying to people. So it begs the question, what is behind this? I got a theory. If if they know it causes a problem for them when they get found out, but they still do it anyway. There's only one possible explanation to me. It's that they don't believe that they can compellingly and honestly attract people to the job or the company. And so they feel like they have to lie and they hope the person doesn't care that much. If your option is telling the truth and trying to get someone to take your job and lying to them, knowing that it's a massive risk that they will eventually leave you and put you right back in the same position. It, the, only, the only common sense reason that someone would do that is because they don't believe that the job they're offering and the company they're representing is good enough. And so under pressure, because their job depends on them getting a hire, you know what they do? They default and they lie. Here's what happens. Most people lie, good people that lie, we lie when we're desperate. We don't lie just to lie unless you're a a sociopath. But good people lie when they're desperate. That's what kids do, right? The parent catches them. Did you do this? No, because you're terrified and you're desperate and you lie and you realize the lie gets you in more trouble. So understand that these hiring managers, folks, this is the only thing I could possibly come up with here other than they're sociopaths. The common sense answer is they're desperate. And so they lie. Now, why do I share the story? Because you need to make sure that when you go into job interviews, you know the environment you're going into and know that you could be lied to, and you better ask enough questions to where you realize, aha, I caught them in a lie. 
And remember, the job interview is just as much for you as it is for them. And if you ask enough questions, the right questions, you can always tell. And I know you can tell this because you've watched politicians on TV before. And we all know when those snakes are lying. And if you've parented a kid, you know when your kid's lying to you. So why don't you have the same radar up when you're doing a job interview? All right, speaking of lying, uh, the team brought me this hilarious viral clip. Where is that? I had it here. Oh, yeah, here we go. So set this up really quick. Uh, So a dad decided to do a fake job interview with his six-year-old daughter, Abby. And, of course, she's six. That's what's great about six-year-olds. They just do whatever you say. Now now I got 16-year-olds, and they don't do anything you say. And so she's like, sure, Daddy, I'll play along. This is what happened. Watch this. I know that you wanted me to send a video, and um, you wanted me to include one of my children, and I only have one child. Um, her name is Abby, and Hi. she's here. Um, so you wanted some background. Like I, I dress like this every day as soon as I get up. I get up at 4 a.m., uh, every morning I go for a run um, and then I run for about 12 miles and then I come back. I make sure the house is all clean and tidy. I do all the dishes and I wash the dishes. <laughs> so I do all the dishes. I make sure the dogs are bathed and um, that way when my wife gets up, like everything is done. So I'm I'm very diligent in that. Bye. Uh, no, Abby. It's not you. Just for a minute, please. I you just can't, you can't lie to the people. They're going to see this, please. Um, so you asked about my diet. Um, I only eat vegetables. Um, there's no pizza. Come on, you eat just cheese please. and milk. <laughs> oh, come on, you eat sugar all the day. I don't eat... Um, egg sandwiches or iced tea. I'm um, total water and. Come I, on, you! you. If, no, no, please, please, please. If I do get water uh, from, if I do get an order from the deli, I just get water and like a veggie wrap or something. Um, you asked how I met my wife. I was um, a center fielder for the New York Yankees, and I was playing in one day. That is so great. So now you see what he did here. He sets his little six-year-old daughter up for uh, what he told her was a a job interview, but he set her up, and how beautiful to see the little six-year-old. The entire reaction is great. She's like, Dad, you're not telling the truth. And this is what's beautiful. Now, that's a funny video, and I could just say, hey, I wanted you to be entertained. But I also wanted you to learn something. We just talked about how employers are lying to candidates. Candidates lie a lot, too. They lie a lot, too. And let me tell you something. When you lie to get yourself into a job, it's going to catch up to you. Can't we be just like that precious six-year-old who's innocent enough to go, you're lying. That's not right. She was done. Daddy's lying. She's out. May we all be that honest. Great stuff. Welcome back to the Ken Coleman Show. Hey, if you're enjoying the program, would you help us grow by getting out in front of other people? You are the key. Here's how you do it. If you're watching via YouTube, 
Give us a like on the video or videos you're watching. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and share a video if you think it will encourage, equip, or entertain someone that needs to hear the message. Then if you're listening via your podcast app, give us a follow. A five-star review helps and share as well. All right, let's get to the phone for coaching session. Catherine joins us now in Cleveland, Ohio. Catherine, you're on the Ken Coleman Show. Hi, Ken. How are you? I am living the dream, Catherine. What's going on? I am so excited to talk to you today. Um, So I've heard plenty of times not to run away from something, but run to something. Yes. Yes, right. And I'm in a toxic job that I've wanted to leave for many years, but it's been pretty easy having kids with this job. Um, So after a lot of research and thought, I've decided I'd like to start my own business and change management and culture consulting. My question is, would it be considered running away although it kind of feels like crawling at this point, um, mm-hmm. without having something to run to if I quit to do some training and business planning first. Uh, financially, my husband and I are prepared for me to take that jump. Okay, good. I love this question. <laughs> you're not running away from something. I you are running. Run to. Yeah, you're running to something. And so when I said that on the show before, don't run mm-hmm. away, run to, what I'm suggesting is, when you're in a not good situation, you know it's a situation you're not supposed to be in long term. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to just quit. I want you to quit to something. And so what I'm telling people is have the grit mm-hmm. to go, all right, my time here is coming to an end. Yeah. And now I need to figure out what is my new beginning. If this is ending, what's my new beginning? And so that's all that means. And in your situation, you know what your new beginning is. And you've also been planning, and financially, you're able to walk from this. So that's the essence of that that quote, is I'm saying, I don't want you to just get exasperated, frustrated, angry, and just go, I'm out, and not know what we're going to. And that's the essence behind that. In your case, you really do. So you are absolutely moving to something, because you go, this is the desired future. So you are in financial shape to be able to do this. It's not going to cause any challenges. Correct. That is right. So what in your mind as you called me today, what was your what was your quit time? You got a you got a date in mind? Um October 13th. <laughs> it's freaking fantastic. Yeah, I have a I have a couple, but the sooner the better and um, I just want to give them enough time to uh, give them my institutional knowledge and Great. Then start on my own path gosh you're a classy classy lady <laughs> thank you i'm serious well, thank you. <laughs> I, I, and i'm not just trying to compliment you to to make you feel good i i'm i essentially want the audience to know how rare you are in today's world um i don't wow. by the way i've been asked this question before ken do i have to give someone a two-week notice and i've said it fundamentally no you don't have to sure. there's no there's no law of man that's just kind of an expectation that's been a tradition but right. uh you know, you don't have to do it. And, and to me, the, the the answer to that question is not about honoring the tradition of a two-week notice. To me, it's just giving proper notice. So you yeah. could you could conceivably give someone proper notice with a week. Right. You right. proper notice maybe four weeks. Do you know who determines proper notice? The employee? You. I don't, I don't know. You. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. Classy people. Yeah. And, and it's the answer to this. Catherine, what would you what would you want someone to do to you? 
if you were yes. in your employer's position. Right. And I think you've already done that. So I, I am calling that out, that that's a lot of class, and I think it's great. So what is this business idea? So I'd like to go into change management and culture consulting. Um, I've found over the last decade that the most excitement that I've gotten and joy has been making it a happy culture for people to work in. Um, and sometimes even within the toxic environment, right? Like I can still control the environment that my own people have. So, um, and then I've worked on some projects where we've tried to implement um, software or new ideas, but it was just um, here, you know, do these things. We're not telling you why, we're not giving you a why, um, just do them and they failed. And so I recognize that there's a need, um, you know, change management is important. Like there's a need for that and there's a need for a, a good culture before you can make that change. I love it. So I, again, there's been, you know, times when we've tried to make changes, but the culture was so poor that people weren't mm-hmm. buying, you know, they weren't happy to make any changes. Have you done the research on what you can charge for these services? Um, a little, but, but not much. Yeah. And again, financially, if it's six months, 12 months, 18 mm-hmm. months before you're making a fourth, a half of what you've been making, is that going to cause you and your husband any financial stress? Nope. Well, now that's no. huge, folks. I mean, that's yeah. huge. Um, yeah. So I absolutely think this is great. This is a no-pressure situation, and this is what I like. Um, you are in a different financial situation. So if you're not in Catherine's situation, folks, my mm-hmm. advice would have been for Catherine to have six months of her current income saved up that's outside of an emergency fund. I don't want you using your emergency fund, which is truly for emergencies. What we recommend at Ramsey Solutions is three to six months of your household expenses in an emergency fund, but leaving a job is not an emergency. And in this case, you know, you're set, so it doesn't matter. But I, in your case, you don't need six months of income. Maybe you already have it. The point is, uh, Catherine, I, I think this is the right move because you get to go do this and start this without any pressure. Yep, that's right. But we also worked to get here. Of course. the baby steps. Yeah, it's not because you're just wealthy. It's because right. you thought through it, you planned for it, and now you're ready to step into it. That's, that's How does that feel, by the way? I want people to hear this because uh, it, it's doable. How does it feel? It's, feels amazing. I feel free. I feel like I, I can leave a toxic job because because of the financial freedom. And the sacrifices you made along mm-hmm. the way in the Ramsey baby steps, I'm assuming you used those. That's correct. Yep. It That discipline then gives you freedom now. Yes, that's right. Oh my gosh. What is it going to feel like on <laughs> October 14th if you make it that long? I feel like I'm already giddy. Listen to her, folks. You're giggling. That is giddy giggling, and we like that sound on the Ken Coleman show because that's a woman who's free. Oh, yeah. You are. You don't know what you. You literally are going to be floating for a week. <laughs> I sure hope so. I'm looking forward to you it. You are. Let me ask you this because I think this is an important piece. Really quick. What's what's the spousal situation been? What's your husband's how has he supported you, cheered you on? How does he feel about this? Because I'm bringing this up as a dude. Even though you guys don't need the money, let me tell you about dudes. 
We hate to see that income go away. How's he handling this? I think he is so supportive. There are days when, you know, he, he may, you know, you know what he said yesterday? He said, you're too smart to go too long without an income. So oh, I think he I'm going to use that, that one. <laughs> yeah, that was probably like, that was the last comment. But um, I think that maybe that was him reassuring himself too. 100%. But, hundred percent yeah but he's so supportive i think he both he and i recognize that right now my income potential is capped and if i go do this uh, you know the opportunities are endless and my my income you know can i could probably double it in a year or so and only because of my professional position am i allowed to ask this guys Catherine? i'm just curious how old are you I turned 40 at the end of August. Oh my gosh. You're young. You're nine, you're nine years younger than me. Yeah. How about that? I know, I know, I know. I look, I know I look like I'm 32. I get it. I get it all the time. No. Yes, I would have guessed mid thirties. Oh well, wow, wow! Now Catherine's making me feel good. So now I'm going to come up with a giddy giggle. Uh, you know what, Catherine? I'm so excited for you. So happy for you. Uh, the best is yet to be. And uh, tell your husband I think he's a stud for um, supporting you in this next season of life, which I think is going to absolutely be uh, the best. The best possible opportunities for you are 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 ahead of you. So fun, folks. This is why financial freedom and professional freedom are tied together right here. Good stuff, Catherine. This is The Ken Coleman Show. Thanks for listening to The Ken Coleman Show. For more, you can find the show on demand wherever you listen to podcasts and watch the show on YouTube. You can also find Ken across all social media by following at Ken Coleman. 